0: Well, welcome. As we continue our series on The Really Wed Game, I think that song just sums it up. There's so many ways in which any kind of relationship, we end up hurting each other. And it's not always right and wrong either. Of course, we think we're right and they're wrong, whether it's a son and a daughter, whether it's a friend or a colleague. But certainly in marriage, we begin to discover we have an uncanny ability to hurt people we love. Don't we? And often it's not intentional. It's misunderstanding. Sometimes it's just different preferences. And so as part of our newlywed game, we're going to do a little uh, experiment today with all of us together. The goal is not to embarrass you. The goal is to show just how different we all are. So as you came in today, you were given two cards in your program, one of a turtle and one of a skunk. And we're going to see just how different we are. How many of us in our room, we're going to find out are turtles, that when conflict comes our way, we have a tendency to poke our head in our shell. Others of us are skunks. Conflict comes our way, we end up hurting other people because we make a big stink out of the whole thing, right? And so there are ways in which by not addressing issues, the other person doesn't feel prioritized and we hurt them. Other times, the way we address issues ends up hurting people. So, so it'll be a little bit fun with a few questions. Uh, feel free to, uh, you don't have to put it up way high, but you know, you just sort of, if I say something applies to you, I'll say, skunk, kind of hold that up. person next to you can nudge you if you want, if you think it applies, and then vice versa. All right, here we go together for the skunk versus turtle game. If the phrase staying home tonight makes you feel melancholy, oh, we're not going to go out and be around people, you might be a skunk that wants to get out. Any skunks that the idea of sitting in sounds like a drag? All right, so we got some skunks out there. How about this? If the phrase staying home tonight fills you with joy and peace as you dream of a time on the couch watching TV or reading a good book, You might be a turtle. You got some turtles in there? All right, a lot more turtles on that one. How about this? My idea of a fun night involves something energizing. Maybe a live game night with friends, some dancing, a ballpark in a crowded stadium. If that's you, you may be pepelepew, go ahead and raise your skunk card. All right? Got some extroverts out there. Do people know exactly, exactly how you feel about an issue? Uh, do you love being a problem solver, talking about issues or conflict directly and quickly, bringing your experience to bear with your friends, your kids, or your coworkers? You might be a skunk. Yeah, some real strengths to skunk. When your spouse starts telling a story that goes on forever, giving every conceivable aspect of the story, Do you wish you could tell them, I can only fit so much information up here, you need to use less words. I don't need every detail to the story. You might be a turtle. Okay, we're a little bit in the weeds here, so stay with me. Uh, turtles brace yourself, skunks, you're going to love this. All right, when there's a difference of opinion, you want to wrestle it to the ground, sometimes make a big stink and necessary, get to the bottom of it, but you're going to work it out ASAP, you might be a skunk. Some skunks? Okay, you like to deal with stuff, good. When you sense conflict, you have a superpower that allows you to disappear into another room hiding out until the hope that it blows over you go somewhere to think it through and do your kids or your spouse refer to you as disappearing dad or mystical mirage mother any turtles in here okay we got a few turtles all right last two think back on some arguments or fights you've had in marriage work or elsewhere when the dust up starts what's your first instinct to hide or to hurl are you a hider or a hurler hurler if you're a hider Pull up your turtle card. he's got some turtles in here. And last one. Maybe you've been in arguments and found yourself saying something you later regretted, maybe raising your voice and losing it during an argument. Do people smell your opinion coming because it's so potent and so out there? Would you rather raise a big stink than let things fester? You might be a skunk. All right. Well, hopefully, as you saw today, there is so much variety. And it's not like any of us want to hurt each other, but just... That one difference between how we handle conflict and being a skunk and turtle can be something that affects relationships at work. It can be something that affects relationships in families and marriages. It certainly can affect relationships between kids and parents. And so in this series today, and in the topic today, we're going to look at how do we deal with hurts and how do we deal with hurting people. Because as our series has said, when the honeymoon is over and the in-laws are too, Extended family just makes that more complicated. And so we end up hurting people or being hurt by people. You may have heard this before, but it's so true that hurt people end up hurting people. And we all have a certain degree of fears, insecurities, preferences that make us hurt or injured because of things we haven't dealt with. And we end up hurting the people around us because we haven't dealt with that. And, you know, insecure people, actually, we kind of think of them a certain way, but I want to propose that all of us are somewhat insecure, and all of us are hurting people that end up unintentionally hurting people. I mean, hurt people can be very braggadocious. Like, why are they bragging so much? As if they're trying to convince me how important they are, because they're hurting inside. They don't know and aren't confident in how important they are, so they've got to brag about it. Hurting people drive you crazy. It can be a son, a daughter, a brother-in-law, a father, a mother-in-law. It's the people who drive you crazy because you sense that whatever's operating seems unhealthy. And the same way you can point that out at every family reunion and you're pointing, oh, don't, oh, watch out about, oh, I remember the time. There's somebody on the other side of the family who's probably pointing to you and saying, oh, she's over, oh, my goodness, I remember the first got married. So I think if we're honest enough to say, not just there's those hurting people out there, that I feel self-righteous about but I'm one of those hurting people and I want to deal with hurting people but also deal with some of the issues that have caused my hurts as well so I don't hurt people. How do we do that? Frank McGuire was one of the co-founders of FedEx and I love how honest he was in his business consulting about even people who look secure have hurts and insecurity. He says, I've been around many powerful leaders. On the surface they look totally secure. You would never guess there was one ounce of fear but my experience has convinced me that no matter what your title or position in life, we all, no exceptions, carry our treasures in fragile containers. You even hear people say stuff like that. Yeah, my husband's real confident, but you know about the male ego—it's fragile, right? There's a sense in which, as count as we are, we can still be hurt. We still need appreciation and affection and respect. How about this one? NFL, former NFLer. Ken Rucker says, I've never seen so many insecurities as in the locker room. Why? Because on the field, guys are naked. They have to prove themselves in two or three hours, and there's no fooling the camera. Once you look through the mask, you have the most insecure guys ever. Because now you are how you perform. And it's out of that insecurity, and even desire to do well, that we can unintentionally hurt the people we love. Shanti Feldhahn is a Harvard-trained researcher. She wrote a book called For Women Only, explaining the psychology of men and what men need and why men do what they do. She wrote another book called For Men Only, too. But in this book, she did a survey, one of the largest surveys ever in marriage, and they asked men, how often, even when you feel competent in an issue, do you sort of pretend to be more competent than you really are? Or do you ever have a fear that people are going to find out that maybe you're not bringing all the expertise to bear in your parenting, in your job, that maybe you're pretending to? Now, the men surveyed in this survey, those who said, I kind of fake it till I feel it, I kind of pretend to be more secure and confident than I really am, 71% of men said, yeah, I'm hiding some insecurity. 29% of them were liars. No, no, 29% of them were truly confident and have never had any insecure issue. Maybe you're one of those today. So today we're going to look at a man in the Bible that we've been talking about for several weeks named King Saul, who at first glance seems like he's not insecure at all. He's got power, he's got influence, he commands armies, he's rich, he's famous, he has it all in one sense. And yet underneath that veneer of having it all is someone who's very, very insecure. And it's out of that insecurity he is hurting the people all around him. Three quick summary of Saul. One, if you haven't been here, and a few details that we haven't talked about yet. Number one, Saul was an incredible collector of strong things. He collected strong things. In fact, he saw people, he saw warriors, not as an entity to themselves, but something that would make him look good. So it was out of the insecurity of needing to build himself up that he collected strong things. Saul Saul saw any strong man or any valiant man and took him for himself. There's nothing wrong with that. He's a recruiter for a great army. But what we're going to find is that he's not just recruiting for a great army. It's the insecurity under that, that your job is to make me look good. And if any time you don't make me look good, off with your head. And David, as long as he's a strong one who defeats Goliath, woo, I'm a collector. I want you on my side if you make me look good. But the minute you take away from me, sort of classic narcissism, This hurt person ends up hurting people in a devastating way. Secondly, as we've already noted, Saul is an incredible controller. He likes to be in control of anything and everything. And he is not going to let go of that control. Miguel, his daughter, who married David, Saul's daughter, loved David. And they told Saul, hey, your daughter loves David, the guy who just defeated Goliath. And so he gives his daughter to be married to David so that, look at the phrase up there, she could be a snare to him. What a great foundation for marriage. I'm hoping to snare and entrap David so he's on my side, doesn't get his own popularity. So Saul used people to snare and entrap other people. He's a chess player who doesn't see people with their own value. He sees people as a means to the end and him being the king and keeping himself at a checkmate. So he gives his daughter in marriage solely to ensnare David. Thirdly, he's not just a controller and a collector. He's also controlled by fear. Because he's insecure and hurting, what drives a lot of his decisions is his fear. He is scared to death of David. And the more David serves him but gets popular, the more he's scared David will do to him what he does to others. And that's why insecure, hurting people are always so paranoid and suspicious. They know their agenda, and they assume you're agending them the same way they're doing it to others. So how do we handle, because I got some of that stuff in me, hopefully not that bad, but I'm aware of it, some of it, how do we deal with the hurts we bring to the table and the hurts we cause because of that? Or if you're on the other end, how do you deal with hurting people who are trying to hurt you? I'm going to give you four things. Four things that come right out of this bizarre family feud between Saul, Miguel, Jonathan, his kids, and married-in son-in-law, King David, who will eventually be King David. Number one, we need to see their injury, the person hurting us, before you see your own. Meaning when somebody hurts you, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Oh, I just, I can't believe you said that. I can't believe you did that. You're focused on yourself, and understandably so. But part of developing compassion is before you see your injury, which is legitimate, you need to look at, try and see their injury. That what looked malicious may be somebody coming from a place of just brokenness. Your father-in-law is broken because he never coped with the emotions of what happened when he got back from the war. Or, or your, your, your daughter-in-law is maybe very insecure and that's because, you know what, she wants to be a good mom and she feels like she's not and it's the insecurity of being a new mom is driving some of what she said or didn't say. Try and see their injury. And see it as an injury because it's easy to see how they're malicious and ridiculous, but they're injured. And that may be what's contributing to their bad behavior. What that will do is that will bring compassion to bear into the relationship. And again, we saw that with Jonathan. His dad went crazy. Called him and his mom all kinds of stuff. And David was ang- I mean, Jonathan was angry that his dad would say the things he said. But instead of just focusing on his own injury, how he was hurt by what dad said, he decided to be grieved for David. Oh my goodness, how oh, my dad is so broken, so suspicious, so hurt. It's hurting the people around us. He actually took the, the focus off himself for a moment to have compassion, to be grieved for those around him. How do we do that? How do we have that kind of compassion? Because without a doubt, he's a controller. In fact, in their book, Toxic In-Laws, the author tells a story of, uh, of Elizabeth and Devon. They were in their 30s and they were going to get married for the first time. They are planning their big wedding. But it was Devon's mom was a controller. And she had planned out Their perfect day. And she knew exactly what it should be like. Now, they wanted a very simple, private ceremony with very few people. But mom had a vision for what it should be. Now, because Devin had grown up in this, he wanted to honor his mom, wanted to care for his mom, wanted to love his mom. Those are all great things. But his mom was not used to ever hearing no. And even though he was an adult, that dynamic still played itself. So Devin and Elizabeth would get together and say, hey, your mom's doing this again. We've got to just remind her that, hey, we appreciate her. We love what she's doing. But this is the vision for the wedding. Something simple. So Devin sort of got up the courage to sit down with Mom. Mom, we appreciate what you're doing. We love We, we know you want the best for us. We love your help. But we really want something simple. And Mom lashed out and said, How dare you take the happiest day of my life and turn it into a slap in my face? And Devin... Is feeling now remorse and guilt because he loves his mom. He wants to care for his mom. But he's caught in a controlling triangle and he can't win, right? Because even when he sided with his wife, which is the right thing to do, ultimately he's dealing with the guilt and remorse. And so as you're making these kind of decisions, just realize this is not easy. It's not easy for your spouse to stand up if they grew up in a, in a victimizing or triangulation environment it is hard to see the difference between a person I love as somebody who might be injured and their behavior that feels normal because I grew up with it being normal actually might be coming out of a place of injury and so that's what Jonathan was able to do and then also Miguel now Miguel again the woman who was the snare for David she is going to hear from her dad how she's got to kill David now we talked a little about this two weeks ago I'm going to give you a little more detail on it so, second time, Saul's coming to try and kill David. And as he comes to make his way in, Miguel turns to her husband and says, Listen, it's us together against this dysfunction. Dad's injured, dad's suspicious, dad's not operating sanely. She lowers her husband out the window to escape. I mean, that's how bad it's gotten. And then she gets in the bed pulls up the sheets, and she finds a statue, sticks the statue in the bed, rustles up some stuff, and and plugs it in there so it looks like there's a body sleeping in there. It's like Ferris Bueller's Day Off kind of thing. Here it is. So they come, and they're like, hey, where's David? Oh, he's not feeling real well. Look at him. Ooh, barely moving. He's he's sick. And so Saul's like, well, I don't want to kill a sick guy. We'll give him another day to recover. And so finally, that's it. We're going in. And as they go in, they find out, they pull back the covers. He's not sick. That's a statue. And oh my goodness, is her dad angry. How dare you side with my enemy, he says. You've deceived me. Controlling people are not going to give up control just because you got married. And it's going to cause a lot of hurt unless you realize that it's still going to cause hurt. This person is operating out of injury. And and I still got to set up some boundaries, but I need to have some compassion for why they're so broken. They're probably not going to change barring a lot of pain in their life. But if you see their injury and operate from the sense of it's not as much malicious as they are broken, it'll at least bring some compassion to bear into the circumstance. We have a small group of 20-somethings and we're going through a marriage series right now. <laughs> we watched this DVD. It was incredibly awkward. Like you, you could feel the tension in the room two weeks ago or four weeks ago. It was a man and his wife With a counselor talking about their marriage issues for the first time in front of 500 people. Would you sign up for that? And yet they were so honest and vulnerable that it made us uncomfortable on video watching it. But it was raw and real. The question was what does your spouse do that bothers you? That was the opener. And the wife said, it scares me when you scream and yell and punch holes in the wall. And as the counselor helped her begin to not just see his bad behavior, but to see him as injured, they began to explore that when he was a young kid, his parents would fight all the time. And he felt out of control, and he felt very, very scared. And he would go and hide in the closet as he heard mom and dad scream at each other wishing he could control it, wish he had something he could do about it. He just didn't know what to do. And he said, when you and I start fighting, I don't know what to do. I just am so terrified. I don't want to hurt you. So I end up you know, taking my anger out on something else. It was amazing in the awkwardness to see the dynamic change. Still had issues. He still dealt with his anger issues. And then she had some similar anger issues and manipulation issues when it got to her side. But they began to have compassion for each other, seeing that their bad behaviors were coming out of hurt and injury. It was that compassion that paved the road for them to begin to rebuild their marriage as they begin to see each other as two wounded people, not just malicious people. So try and see their injury before you see your own. Secondly, fill them up when you want to tear them down. Now, when somebody you know, says something to you, you, you're on the defense, right? Your fight or flight mechanisms in. You want to tear them down. How dare you say that? And you're probably justified, by the way. But if someone's coming from a place of injury, they may be operating out of a deficit. They just may be so empty inside that if you could take the focus off yourself and say, maybe before I react, is there any way I could fill them up? This is somebody who's very disrespected, very unappreciated. No one really is building into them. Especially if you're doing long-term care with somebody. Yeah, maybe it's your parents or grandparents. I took care of my grandpa last summer before he died. And my grandpa, who I loved, a lot of stuff came out of grandpa that wasn't necessarily the most constructive. But I realized grandpa, as a Marine, never wanted to be a dependent. And the insecurity of feeling like he couldn't provide, but he was a burden, was just, it was a lot very empty. And I realized one of the greatest things I could do is not just resent or get hurt by what grandpa said, but instead to encourage grandpa. He was empty, he needed encouragement. He didn't feel like he was respectable. Because of the condition he was in. How could I communicate respect to him? How could I fill him up? It's hard to do that when people... You start to see them like Saul did as your enemy. But instead, see them as people who are empty inside. God might want to use you as the source of appreciation to fill them up. Now, you're not going to fill them all the way up, right? They've got a huge deficit. But to say what's coming out of them is a sign that their tank is empty. How could I be a source of joy to them and fill them up? And David does exactly that. It's pretty amazing, really. That even though Saul's tried to kill him twice... Even though Saul's out to get him, he still is grabbing his harp, walking into his father-in-law going through a deep depression and saying, hey, let me play some music for you. I want to be a source of refreshment for you. Man, that had to be a tough, tough mental gymnastic battle. But saying, God, you've been a source of joy to me when I'm injured, when I'm broken, when I do the wrong thing. How can I be a source of joy to my parents, to my in-laws? How can I see them not just as dysfunctional people, but lonely people, unappreciated people, people who have lost their purpose, people who need to know someone cares about them? Well, I don't care about them. Well, I guess I do deep down. Well, dig down and find that little bit. And It was a small piece. How can we refresh the people in our life? It'll change the dynamic of your communication. It will allow you to deal with hurting people and actually help them be a source of joy to them, be a source of connection to them. There's an illustration I use a lot over a given year. It's called the emotional cup. I use it in marriage. I use it uh, with employees. I use it with kids. That often what comes out of somebody, your positive emotions get squeezed early in the day and there's like all the positive emotions are gone and then you get home and all that's left is the other stuff that's left in there. What comes out of somebody, the condemnation of their bad behavior, the, the guilt from doing the wrong thing, if you dig a little bit deeper, you find underneath that, if you go all the way to the bottom, is usually hurt. A marriage conflict, is, it's not just because they're not doing what you want them to do, it's because you're hurt. You were hoping to have affection last night, and the person turned you down. It, you are angry, but you're more hurt because you wanted to connect. You tried to share an idea, or your son or daughter tried to share an idea with you, and you didn't have time for them, and they stormed off and ripped it and slammed the door, They are angry, but they're hurt because they really needed attention and you didn't give them the attention they needed. And so under their bad behavior is hurt. And out of that hurt comes anger and then fear. Next time you try and initiate, next time you try and share your idea, you're fearful it's going to do the same old pattern that's been going on. And so we focus on the bad behavior. You know, you should never say that. You shouldn't do that. I can't believe you. But what if we instead tried to look underneath it and say, oh... This person wants attention or needs appreciation or needs affection or wants to know that some comfort in this conversation. What if we tried to fill up people who are empty inside rather than tear them down? I had one of those this week. I've been helping several couples and one of them um, is finalizing a divorce. I'm trying to encourage both of them to to reconcile with one another or at least uh, be open to reconciliation And as I'm trying to help both sides, I got an email from one side saying, I can't believe you're taking their side. And a pretty poignant email accusing me of some things. And I was angry. Everything I got going on, and I'm spending time helping you, and you're accusing me of... That's how I was reacting while I was driving home from East Fork Lake on my jet ski reading this thing. Before I was driving. (laughs) I got home. I said, all right. I need to fill up. This is a hurting person. See their injury. Man, I've walked a lot of people through divorce. You don't see anything straight. It's just pain. All right, see their injury before your own. All right, how can I refresh? Give a phone call in. Hey, I want to let you know, sounds like it's a tough thing. I'm not on anybody's side. I'm trying to help you. I care about you both. And I got the nicest phone call the next day, an apology. I'm sorry, man, I'm sorry. Thanks, thanks. I know your heart. I didn't react the way I wanted to and felt justified in doing. I tried to see their injury and refresh them. See that cup in their life. And that's hard to do. The only way I'm able to do it is go, how does God, not, who's justified in getting mad at me, he sees my needs before his own. He tries to refresh me when I'm broken. It's out of my understanding what God does for me that I'm able to attempt out of that power source to do it for others. I had someone who hurt me really badly several years ago. 25% of it was total miscommunication. 25% of it was misunderstanding about expectations. And probably 50% was my fault. And so I was trying to own 100% of my fault of the situation with a friend of mine. And when they called, they were very, very angry, and justifiably so. And I was trying to parse, okay, wow, that part, I guess we didn't communicate very well. That part, okay, oh, that part is my fault. In the middle of that conversation, words came at me like, how dare you ever call yourself a pastor? You are totally unqualified to teach anyone anything about God in light of the situation. I mean, I was devastated. As I try and be authentic, I never try and pretend that I'm perfect, but man, I think I I try to be an example of somebody who's broken and somebody who's pursuing God. It hurt me so deeply. But again, I said, all right, let me try and see... What I need to own in this, let me own that. And I spent about two weeks doing what Jesus said. If somebody has something against you, nothing else is more important than reconciling with them. And I've made incredible efforts to reconcile and own my part to to rescue that friendship. And ultimately we did. But it was hard. It's hard to do this stuff. So how do you see their injury before your own? How do you try and refresh people? when you want to tear them down. And thirdly, how do you untangle, kind of like I talked about there, how do you untangle your hurt from their hurt? See, for many people, they grew up in a a family dynamic where it was normal to lie. It was normal to play games and not talk directly. Many of us grew up in family systems that everybody always controlled each other. We don't know another way. And insecurity bleeds everywhere. I mean, think again about how Saul is talking to his own son I referenced this two weeks ago, but think about this, how Jonathan has to untangle his hurt from what Dad said from Dad's hurt of why he said it. Dad gives this speech about, how dare you side with David instead of me? Your mother is a son of a you-know-what, is basically what it says in Hebrew. And as long as the son of Jesse, he won't even say his name, the son of Jesse, that was David's dad's name, lives on this earth, I'm going to be... My kingdom's going to be taken. Your is you're a fool if you sided with him. And the things he's accused of, Jonathan's mom is actually being insulted here. And he's going to have to do some complex differentiation between the hurts that have just been caused by this and the hurts that his dad is having that have caused it. And Jonathan, after this whole encounter, where now his dad's throwing spears at him, not just at David, knew that it was determined you know what? Dad is just broken. And Dad's not changing. And no matter what circumstance I bring to bear, Dad's not going to change. I'm going to have to make some decisions here. And this is not easy to do. I had a friend of mine who had a tough relationship with his father, and he went to a counselor, and he said, you know, my my struggle is that I love my dad, I want to honor my dad, but I also hate my dad. His emotional unavailability, some of the abusive things he did, some of the horrible things he still does. So he talked to the counselor. The counselor said, "What well, can both be true? Can you love your dad and also hate aspects of his behavior? Because he's feeling so much guilt for his hate." You know, God said, "He is always a source of love." So it says in, in uh, the Bible. Yet it also says that God hates things. He hates proud eyes. He hates haughty eyes. He hates uh, uh, hands that that kill uh, innocent blood. It is possible to love and hate at the same time. And sometimes that differentiation can help you go, I love my father-in-law, aspects of him, and I hate these destructive things in him. That kind of differentiation can be very helpful. We had a family meeting this summer that was incredibly life-giving. Tearful, but life-giving. Sierra, who's getting married in two weeks, she'd come home and... Uh, Brandon was there, her, her fiancé, and we're just having this great discussion. And the discussion really is about the challenges of having uh, Quinn and autism in our life the last nine years. And Quinn has been such an incredible source of joy. For those of you who hear me always talk about the challenges, I mean, I love Mr. Quinn. We go skiing together at Perfect North once a week for the last five years. We bike on the special needs bike that's got three wheels, and, and we've gone 110 miles together, and you've never seen such joy. You've never been loved so well as being loved by a child with autism. Now, you also get injuries like this where he um, rams your wheels forward and you slide along the asphalt for 20 yards. And as we were talking as a family about how to wrestle with our deep love for our son and our brother and our frustration and anger, I don't know this is prescriptive for everybody else because it's probably got a lot of problems, but one of the ways we make the distinction is we love Quinn and we are frustrated and angry at the autism that affects him and traps him. Now, there's probably lots of problems with making that distinction, but it's helpful for us in seeing who we love and what we're frustrated by and not to blur those two. You may have to do the same with one of your in laws, one of your spouses, and one of your kids. You may be able to make those kind of distinctions. It's so helpful that it helps you untangle your hurt from their hurt what you care about and want to honor and what you're frustrated with and trying to wrestle with. But then there's going to be other times no matter what you do, no matter what you do, they ain't changing. They're not going to be fixed. And they are hurt people who are going to keep hurting you. And so you're going to just have to protect yourself. You're just going to have to protect yourself. Hurt people hurt people, so protect yourself. There are times there's nothing you can do. And as somebody who thinks there's always something you can do, it's hard for me to even say that. I'm not a quitter. But there are times you can't change your sister in law, your brother, your, your father, whatever it is. There's times you can't. Now, people give up way too early. I, I, I still attest to that, having seen a lot of people give up way too early. Oh, I nothing I can do. It's always the other person's fault. But there are times that you just have to protect yourself. There are times, in fact, that even if God showed up and personally talked to that person, they wouldn't change. Like, that can't be true. The Bible is filled with examples of it. Now, this example I'm going to tell you is so bizarre that if you don't believe in the Bible or don't believe it's a literal book, this is going to be like another example you can write down for crazy stuff in the Bible. Now, I believe it did happen, and I think it's hilarious. Even if you don't think it happened, it's hilarious. So enjoy the story for the story. I think it just screams what's true about human nature. Even if they get the truth right in front of them, people sometimes don't change. Saul is out to kill David, and David is hanging out with Samuel. Samuel's the prophet who anointed him king. So David, is, Saul goes and finds like a whole garrison of messengers. These are warriors. So he takes a bunch of soldiers, and he sends these soldiers to kill David. On their way, this garrison of soldiers are, come to David, they come to Samuel, they're about to kill him, and God's spirit comes upon them, and they begin to prophesy think of that as they begin to sing worship songs. I mean, literally, here's this garrison of mercenaries. Kill David and Samuel! Jehovah Jireh, my provider's grace is sufficient for me, for me, for me. They get done singing, and they're like, "What were well, David's a nice guy. Samuel's a nice guy. What are we doing here? Ah! Oh. And they go back home. Saul's like, hey, what happened? God came upon us and told us, said, wait, you do is crazy, and david's a man after god's own heart what he sends another garrison of messengers kill david kill samuel spirit of god comes upon this garrison jehovah jireh my provider david's a nice guy why why are we doing this they go back to saul saul's like this is ridiculous i'll go do it myself Grabs his own spear, runs out, comes, finds David, finds Samuel. Got his spear, just about to stab him. Holy Spirit comes upon Saul. Jehovah-Jireh, my provider's grace is sufficient for me, for me, for me. God slams him on the ground. He lays there for a day and a night and still wakes up wanting to kill David. There are some times you just got to protect yourself from evil people. It doesn't mean God can't change a lot of people. But God gives us free choice. And it's sometimes, no matter what you do, that person is so resistant, so jealous, so angry, so hateful, that all you can do is protect yourself. And it's sad. David will eventually turn to his wife and say, Honey, we got to be on the same side here. Thanks for letting me out. Thanks for the statue in the bed. It's clear, I've got to escape quickly, is how he says it. I need to speedily escape, or I'm going to perish. I've got to protect myself. And one of the things we as a team get a front row seat to is human depravity. People come in and say, I'm basically a good person. Like, well, you ought to hang out with more people. Because, you know, as, as basically good as we are, man, we hurt each other all the time in really self-centered, horrible, terrible ways. And protecting yourself is going to look different ways. I had a good friend who'd been through an awful lot medically, and because of that, his wife also had been through an awful lot medically. Seeing his life, he almost lose it multiple times, and all the trauma of that. And in her own injury of not knowing how to deal with that, she began drinking and drinking and medicating it, to the point at which he was begging her to stop. He would come home, small children, and she would be intoxicated, passed out, blacked out in the middle of the kitchen stove open stove on she was cooking before she blacked out with the two small children running around after pleading and begging he realized she wasn't going to change he said if you're not going to change i've got to protect the children from this in her book toxic in-laws she tells the story of a couple who had a father-in-law who didn't want to admit he had a a drinking problem but he was very very drinking in front of the grandkids they said dad hey we're not saying what you do or don't have. We're just saying, we want you to spend time with the grandkids. We want them to know their grandpa. But we won't let you be with the grandkids if you've been drinking at all. And of course, he was offended. Of course, he said, judgmental. You think you're better than I am. But they had to, in a positive way, we want you in their lives. But here are the boundaries to protect. We're not going to let you in the environment if you've been drinking at all. He wasn't going to realize it. And when you're the person who's the hurting person, you never take those boundaries positively, by the way. What does it look like for you to protect yourself? It's complicated. That's why our whole theme of this series has been, how can we find the wise thing to do? David continually found the wise thing to do. And Miguel and David, in the midst of the most dysfunctional of family relationships, they said, we're going to stick together as a couple. And if you're going to win the in-law game, you've got to play together as a team. And Miguel and David continually said, we're going to play together as one team. We're going to come against this. And so what does it look like for you guys as you look at your parenting, as you look at your relationship with your in-laws, to play as one team? Because there's plenty of preferences. And some of you are skunks, some of you are turtles. And how you handle this, you've got to come together as a team. And I bet you those four things I mentioned today, some are easier for you than others. Some of you are like, I'm not having any compassion. How dare they say that to me? And maybe God wants to begin to direct you and your spouse to see some compassion for your family. Because you've had a lot of justice. And it's justified. But you need some more compassion. Maybe you have never thought you could be a source of joy to your enemies, those who've hurt you. And God's calling you to begin to see them with, your, with his eyes and say, how can I fill them up when I want to tear them down? Maybe you've never done the serious work of finding out what part of them pushing your buttons isn't what they're doing, it's about what's broken in you, that you need to untangle your own hurt. Or maybe you keep getting into situations where you hurt yourself over and over again, and you've never really thought about what is a, a healthy way to set up healthy boundaries. Come together as a team. Make decisions as a team. Otherwise, your kids are going to want to divide you. In-laws are going to want to divide you. Make the decisions as a team. As much as we as a team here at the Horizon get a chance to have a front row seat to people's dysfunction, we get to see incredible front row seats to people who are pursuing reconciliation. Just this week, I had two conversations with couples headed toward divorce. I mean, like way toward divorce. And one actually had already been divorced and still said, Chad... One couple, we're open to how God might want to change us. We're open to how God might want to grow us. And we're open that if it's possible that God grows us, we'd be open to how we might want to re-reconcile. Like, hey, for where you are, keep a heart open to it. I had another couple came to me this week. I want you to know, after a very, very difficult year, after very difficult challenges, we've decided to stay married and we're both committed to do the work. I'm like, that is exactly right. It doesn't matter if you've been married 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years. You've got to continually make the decision that I'm going to choose to deal with my own hurts. I'm going to continue to look in the mirror at my own brokenness. I'm going to continue to have those uncomfortable conversations so that the two of us can say, you're still the one for me now. You're still the one I'm committed to. It's hard. It's not always easy. I'm more and more aware of how broken I am and how broken you are this many years in the marriage. But you are still the one. And if you do that, God will fill you with a kind of commitment and joy and you will be a, a, a fort in the middle of a dysfunctional family dynamics of new types of dynamics that can transform your family from the inside out. And that's ultimately what we hope, we hope this series is going to help you with. The Really Wed Game is about continuing to find joy and kindness and compassion for one another, the fun of marriage even 20, 30, 40 years in. And we hope today's been helpful with helpful in helping you help with your hurts in your life. One last thing before you go, I want to give you a chance to help other people who are hurting. As many of you noticed last week, we partnered with Matthew Twenty Five Ministries. I've got a semi right down here for relief effort for the hurricane. Uh, There's information in your program about that. They're taking monetary gifts, uh, non-perishables, a variety of other gifts to help people who are hurting. It's one of the things we care about. We do work here, near, and far in the community downtown. And when you have a need like this, we want to jump at it. So if you want to drop stuff off down at our lower parking lot, down by the soccer fields, uh, feel free to do that because we want to be a blessing to other people who are hurting during this challenging time. Thanks for being here. We'll see you next week as we continue our series on The Really Wed Game.